If you'd like to turn to John chapter 15, and we'll begin at verse 1 and go to chapter 16, verse 4. So that's John chapter 15, starting at verse 1, and I'll hand over to Tara. Good morning, everyone. So hopefully you've got your Bibles open at John 15. So, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it will bear even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remained in his love. I have told you this so that your so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You do not choose, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love one another. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, and they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not come among them, the works if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated me, both me and my father. 
but this is to fulfil what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been... For you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. Friends, let's bow in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for uh, your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We thank you that uh, in his death and resurrection that he has sent your spirit who teaches us all things. We thank you that your word is the sword of the spirit We pray now that uh, as we consider your word that our eyes would be opened and that our hearts would be changed, that we would be those who truly do follow Jesus and remain faithful to him all our days. In his name we pray. Amen. During this time of COVID-19, I've had two uh, good friends, Christian friends, who have made a very special effort to uh, keep in touch with me, uh, to ask me how I'm going as a Christian, uh, how I'm going as a, uh, as a husband and father, and how I'm going as a pastor. And I've been friends with both of these guys since we were in our 20s. Uh, one of them, in fact, uh, has been a friend since I was 20, And I am now fast approaching 60, very fast approaching 60. (laughs) And I've got to say that as single guys in our 20s, our relationships were based on encouraging each other in Christ, Uh, reading the Bible together, um, praying together, going to church together, uh, even rebuking and correcting one another uh, in love because we wanted to be guys who would persevere as Christians. We wanted to be guys who in 40 years uh, would still be uh, fellowshipping with one another in the Lord. Now this year as we've uh, spoken uh, with one another over the phone and as we've zoomed one another, yes even us old guys can do that, something has struck me and that is that neither of them have changed. I mean, their their hair is greyer and they're a bit more wrinkled, more more wrinkled than I am, uh, in my humble opinion, (laughs) or so I delude myself. But after all of these years, they are still following Jesus, they are still loving others, and they are still being fruitful for the kingdom of God. How about that? Isn't that encouraging? Although it doesn't always work out that way, does it? Over the years, uh, not everyone who I've been in fellowship with has remained in Christ. Uh, You may have yourself uh, friends, uh, people who you've 
fellowship with him with previously, been to church with and Bible study group and so on, uh, who have drifted away from Jesus. Usually, uh, in my experience, it's not because they've come to a, a, a view that the gospel of Jesus is not true. It's not that they've come to a, the view that the resurrection never happened. But often it's because they've traded Christ for other things. They've traded Christ for their careers. They've traded Christ for their possessions. Uh, or they've traded Christ for a relationship. There are, of course, other reasons. And one of those other reasons is what we see today in John chapter 15, if you'd care to have that open in your Bibles. And it's a specific issue which would soon face the disciples of Jesus, and that is suffering at the hands of others simply because of being Christian, simply because of following Jesus. Persecution which they would soon experience as Jesus was now about to go to the cross, uh, to die, to be resurrected, and that the mission of Christ, the mission of the resurrected Jesus, uh, would commence. So how would they remain faithful as Christians uh, when at times it would be so tempting to just give up well, as I shared the Passover meal for the last time, Jesus, in John 14 through to 17, Jesus prepares them for what lays ahead. Now, Jesus, of course, is the master communicator. And so here in John 15, particularly in verses 1 through to 8, he paints a picture. It's a picture of a vine and its branches. And now, friends, this is a picture which I can... I can relate to. Uh, until recently, we had a vine at our place uh, which had uh, grown so large that it had uh, overtaken an external wall uh, near our house, that it moved up a wall of the actual house, that it's, it had twisted its way uh, into the roof of the house, and so it therefore had to go. Uh, there were branches and there were foliage everywhere. And to be honest, it took me quite a while of clearing away the foliage before I could find that one trunk, that one trunk in the soil, which was the source, uh, which from, from which every branch gained its life. And I took pleasure in removing in that trunk. It was pretty difficult, though. It was very strong. Now, in verse 1, Jesus describes himself as being the vine. Have a look at that, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, Israel was often called the vine or a vine, a grapevine. In fact, the grapevine became the national symbol of Israel for a period of time. During the years between the end of the Old Testament and, the beginning of, and before the beginning of the New Testament, 
during a period called, uh, under the rule of what the, the, the Maccabees, uh, the image of a grapevine was actually uh, on, the, on the coins that they produced. Uh, it was their national image. Israel was the vine, but friends, Jesus is the true vine. Uh, by which he means that he is the one who is faithful, he is the one who uh, has obeyed God uh, in ways that uh, in Israel had failed to obey God. But by the use of the word vine, it, he means the trunk, uh, the trunk from which the branches grow. Now, uh, have a look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That is, Jesus is the trunk of the vine of which we are the branches. Now, of course, the only reason that a farmer um, plants a grapevine is to do what? He wants to produce grapes and in turn it into wine. But you produce grape, uh, you plant a grapevine so as to produce grapes. But in verses 1 through to 8, this vine has two types of branches. Uh, there are those who uh, do produce fruit and there are those who do not produce fruit. And so what will God, the Father, who is described as being the gardener, what will he do with those branches that do not produce fruit? fruit well it's pretty simple really in verses 2 and 6 uh, he cuts them off and throws them into the fire and a, a farmer would do that wouldn't he mm, some farmers can produce pretty big bonfires as well and they can be quite fun <clears throat> but a farmer would cut off the, the those dead branches and put them into a fire and that's what god the father does but what about the branches which do produce fruit? Well, in verse 2, God prunes those branches so that they become even more fruitful. Now, I do not for one moment pretend to be a gardener. Um, if you want to come around to my home and have a look, you'll see how, how that testimony is true, how absolutely accurate that is. However, I, I'm not completely stupid. And I do know that if you prune a plant, if you cut off the dead branches, it makes it easier for new life to grow. Is that right? Oh, the gardeners here can come and correct me afterwards on that. I'm sure it's more complex. And I suppose that, uh, therefore, that if you were, if plants could feel, they would find pruning to be painful, wouldn't they? Jesus here is preparing his disciples so that when they do experience pain, when they experience uh, the suffering caused by persecution, that they understand what's going on. That this is not a reason to walk away from God. That instead God is pruning them so that they will become more effective and more fruitful for the gospel. 
Uh, friends, as Christians, our goal in life ought not to be that we should be comfortable. Our goal in life should be that we would be fruitful. It's fruit, not comfort, that we live for. Which means that we will be prepared to forfeit uh, some of the comforts of this world. Uh, we will be prepared to, um, to suffer in this world for the sake of the gospel, in order that we would be fruitful, that the gospel would grow, that the kingdom of God would grow through us. And the only way that we can be fruitful is to remain connected to the trunk, is to remain in Christ who nourishes us, who blesses us. Now, I want you to have a look at verse 7, if you wouldn't mind, uh, where Jesus says to the disciples, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. So ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is not a blank check for materialism, for greed, or for just um, <clears throat> uh, fulfilling our desires. No, friends, in Psalm 1, the person who delights in God's word is likened to being like a fruit that's uh, by like a tree that's been planted by a stream of living water, uh, sucking up and nourishing itself from the stream, flourishing and producing fruit. And this is a similar picture here. It's a picture of us being nourished by the words of Jesus, so that our minds and our hearts are shaped by God's will so that our prayers are informed and are characterised and are shaped by the word of God so that what we pray are the things which are in accordance with God's word. And our prayer ought to be that we bear fruit in our lives for the kingdom. So then, how do we remain in Jesus? Well, that's what verses 9 through to 17 are about. Let me just read a couple of verses from that for you. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Well, how do you do that? Well, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Well, friends, to remain in Jesus is to remain in his what? His love. And how do you remain in his love? By obeying his commands. And what is the result of, of obeying his commands? Well, his joy is in us. And, uh, and our joy is complete. That the joy that we experience in life is knowing that we are living in accordance with the will of him who created us. That is our joy. So we remain in his love by obeying his commands. What is it that Jesus commands? Verse 12. 
He sums it up. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That's sort of like the the summary of all of the commands, isn't it? Love God first and love your neighbour. Now, in the Bible, there are different types of love. Um, For example, there is a there is a friendship kind of love. And that, of course, is is a good thing. Uh, The word for that is the word philia. It's a Greek word for friendship kind of love. And sometimes that's the word which is described, used to describe the love which the world has for its own. It's a friendship kind of love. And we see this in verse 19, uh, where Jesus says, if you belong to the world... It would love you as its own. You're a friend of the world. But that's as far as it goes. Because the other type of love is what's called agape love. And that is the the kind of love where you sacrifice yourself for the well-being, for the good of others. And that is the word used in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, says Jesus, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, hang on a moment. Um, Greater love has no one than this to lay down their life for their friends? Didn't Jesus lay down his life for his enemies? Isn't that greater love than just dying for your friends? Well, yes, of course. But, but here, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And Jesus is wanting to encourage his disciples. Uh, and he wants them to know that he doesn't consider them to be his servants. Uh, they're not his servants. No, they are actually his friends. His friends whom he loves. And he chose them. They didn't choose him. He chose them. That's great assurance for them. Have a look at verse 16. Uh, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love one another. So there he's saying, love one another, and go and bear fruit. Going and bearing fruit, that's evangelism, isn't it? And we can't separate our love for one another and our sharing the gospel with others. I mean, if we don't love one another, then when we tell non-Christians about how much God loves them in Jesus, it sounds a bit hollow, doesn't it? If we're fighting with one another and if we don't like each other and if we're not getting... And, We're telling people that we're the ones who know all about love. No, no, it's inconsistent. And so we are to love one another. But also, when we do share the gospel, we benefit from each other's love. Because when we speak to non-Christians about the gospel, uh, we can expect sometimes to experience the opposite of love, even hatred from the world. And so, uh, in, from verse 18 of chapter five, uh, 15 through to chapter 16, verse 4, Jesus warns his disciples 
in regards to this. Uh, let me just read verses, chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. So in the face of persecution, the disciples would be tempted. Um, they would be tempted to think that uh, perhaps um, it's not real or perhaps uh, God uh, was not caring for them. They'd be tempted to think, well, it's actually not worth the suffering. Uh, for us, I think that one of the temptations that we experience is to uh, water down the gospel. Because in our society, and Australia in the 21st century, uh, you know what happens when you say something which is not uh, in accordance with the popular narrative? Uh, you cop it, don't you? You really do cop it. And a whole range of, of, of areas, such as the tolerance of our society. Uh, and so our temptation is to water down the gospel because, uh, quite frankly, no, not, uh, there's a lot of people who don't want to hear about sin. Uh, they don't want to hear about judgment. Uh, they don't want to hear about repentance. Uh, it's what they need to hear. Because if they don't hear, then uh, apart from that, they'll actually not understand their need for forgiveness. They'll not understand why it is that Jesus needed to go to the cross. They'll not understand what the nature and the character uh, of the love of God actually is. And when we do share the gospel, when we share the gospel clearly, it divides people. There are some people hearing the gospel who, who, who will believe and are saved. That's true of us. Uh, there are others, many others, who will hear the gospel and I just, just won't care less. Just, you know, in one ear, out the other. Um, but there will be some who will be hostile uh, towards you. Now, uh, when someone rejects me, uh, I find it difficult not to take that personally, don't you? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't like being rejected. Um, but when we are shunned and when we are um, uh, rejected by people because of the gospel... We actually shouldn't take it personally. I know that's hard, but this is the point that Jesus is making to his disciples so as to strengthen them. We shouldn't take it personally because if Jesus said the same things, then guess what? They would reject him as well. Indeed, they did. Uh, verse 18, I think, captures it. Uh, Jesus says, If the world hates you, Bear in mind that it hated me first. And it's not you that they're rejecting. They're rejecting Jesus. And if they're rejecting Jesus, they are rejecting the Father, their creator. Friends, when we suffer because of the gospel, has God deserted us? No, not at all. 
As we saw last week, the fact that Jesus is now in heaven does not mean that we've been left as orphans. It doesn't mean that we have been deserted. It doesn't mean that we are alone. No, God has sent his spirit. God has sent the counsellor, the advocate. God has sent the spirit who speaks for us, the spirit who strengthens us, the spirit who is besides us to help us. And in verse 26, the spirit testifies about Jesus as we too testify about Jesus. Did you see that? That dualism there that the spirit is testifying we are testifying, we are working in part, we have a responsibility to testify about Jesus, but we're not alone. We're in partnership with God and he is, uses his spirit to speak through us, to strengthen us and to change hearts, to draw people to God. We're never alone. And far from deserting us, God is, in fact, in the context of persecution, in the context of rejection, God is pruning us. He's cutting off the dead wood in our lives. He's humbling us. He's emboldening us. He's strengthening us so that we would be more fruitful. One of the leaders in the early church was a man by the name of Tertullian, and Tertullian uh, was famous, one of the, he famously said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Now the, the persecution that he was talking about was far more severe than what we in modern Australia experience, but the principle is the same. When we suffer for the sake of Christ, that is not a reason to give up being Christian. In fact, we should rejoice in it. Because God is pruning us and God is going to make us more fruitful. When we suffer for the sake of Christ, uh, this is an opportunity for us to stand firm and to remain in him. And when we are prepared to suffer for Christ, guess what happens? Others will see that we're not playing games. That uh, being Christian is not, is not our hobby. Some people play golf. Others go to the beach. Some people, you know, we play it being Christian. No. No, no, no. Th that what they will see is that for us that the death and the resurrection of Jesus is real and it matters to us. It matters to us, friends, and if it matters to us, it may actually matter to them as well as they see the clarity of our gospel presentation and the clarity of how our lives actually express the love of God in Jesus, uh, despite the cost to us personally. Some of my friends who have walked away from Jesus present themselves as living the dream. I see it on their photos on Facebook and all that sort of thing, the beautiful houses that they're living in, the happy families and the fabulous overseas holidays that they're going on. And they can do that. They can live the dream without God. They, didn't really, they don't really need God in their lives. 
Now, as I say, I'm no gardener, but I understand that there are some species of tree where when you cut off the branch, that a branch that's been cut off uh, can still produce some green foliage for a while. That's just because it's got some residue sap that's left in the, in the, in the branch. It looks like it's alive, but it's dead, cut off from the source. I'm the vine, says Jesus. You are the branches. Remain in me and bear much fruit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we want to thank you for your incredible faithfulness to us and your love that is so self-giving. Father, we pray that uh, we would be men and women and boys and girls who would understand what Jesus has done for us and would be committed to him all our days. We thank you, Father God, for the strengthening of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Father, that God, even when we suffer, that uh, we are being pruned to be more like your Son, the Lord Jesus. May we remain in him and may we bear much fruit in our lives, uh, not just now, but in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years from now, that we would still be in Christ and in Christ forever. Amen.